Open up to Acts, chapter 3. We are continuing our series in Acts. Looking at, we'll be in chapters 3 and 4 today. Continuing our series on the, entitled, Unstoppable. Looking at the progress of the good news of Christ and the power of the Spirit in and through the church as, it, as they live as witnesses to Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we'll be looking at chapter, chapters 3 and 4. Uh, I won't read the entirety of all chapters 3 and 4. Uh, we'll kind of move through the storyline. Uh, and follow what's going on and learn from that and, and then look at the truth that God has for us this morning from chapters 3 and 4. But let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word and do what pleases Him. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this wonderful book and chapters 3 and 4 and all the truth that You have for us here. Lord, You know where we are right now. You know who we are and what we need, and Lord, we need You, and we need Your truth, and we ask You, Lord, as we we look at Your Word, as Your Word is preached today, as the truth is declared and proclaimed, Lord, would You pour out Your Spirit, and would You guide me and use me, Lord. Lord, I need You. I am not capable in and of myself, and I thank You, Lord, for Christ and His blood shed for me, for us the power of the Spirit here with us. And we ask You, Lord, because of Christ and for Your purposes, would You speak to us? Give us hearts to receive Your Word, ears to hear, and then lead us, Lord, in walking in Your truth. Lord, we we live by Your Word. We thank You that You speak to us. We long for You to speak. So come and do that as we look at Your Word, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Chapters 3 and 4 are part of the storyline of Acts. We have right before chapter 3, at the end of chapter 2, we touched on this last week, the fellowship of the believers, uh, the, the fruit of the gospel in a paragraph. It's, it's, it's wonderful to, to see the early church and, and what it was like as they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostle and apostles and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers in that fellowship and just all that was going on, the the power of God, the transformed lives, the fellowship. And then there's chapters 3 and 4. And at the end of chapter 4, I won't read this part, but there's another statement about the life of the church. So in some ways, the section we're looking at in chapters 3 and 4 is bookended by these two descriptions of the church, these Uh, descriptions at the end of chapter 2 this description at the end of chapter 4. It's talking about what it was like in that early church and really what the story that we're going to go through is a specific illustration of that. So Luke, as he's trying to communicate what it looks like as Jesus' ministry continues, he, he gives these general descriptions of the fruit of the gospel and the wonder of what's happening, but he gives specific illustrations as well. So we're going to jump into that section and chapters 3 and 4, and learn from the specific illustration of this story about the life of the church and to learn from that. So we'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. 
And it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And you can imagine in the storyline, we're going to step ahead, uh, a crowd gathers. It's, it's amazing. They knew this man. They, he, uh, he was over 40. They had seen him all the time. And so they, walk, they hear what's going on. A large crowd gathers, and Peter addresses them about what had gone on. They're, they're, they're amazed. And, he, and what he does is he speaks of Christ. So, so jumping into verse seven, 17, he speaks of Christ. He points towards Christ and then says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Verse 17. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. And he continues in, in his sermon, and we'll, we'll look at certain aspects of it shortly. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So they're arrested. They wait till the next day. The council uh, is gathered. They have to stand before the council. And it says in verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of, peop- of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this Man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They talk about what to do and decide to just tell them not to do it any longer. 
They're afraid of what the people might do. So in verse 18, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And they go back, they're released, they go back, they're threatened, they're released, they go back to the church and says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. The people come together, they pray. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. That's Acts 3 and 4, and it goes on to describe the, the health of the church at that point. So here we have this really amazing story. There's a lot going on in it. Uh, it's a specific illustration from Luke to illustrate the life of the church, to illustrate what's going on, to point to some key things for us to understand. We'll, we'll get to that. The bottom line, I think, that we learn from this section of Scripture, why I think God had Luke recorded what Luke was after as well, was to teach us that the church prospers, the church flourishes in adversity as it relies, as it centers on God. In particular, the church flourishes even in its adversity as it ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit, as it proclaims Christ, as it prays and relies on the Father. The church is able to flourish in persecution and adversity as it centers on God. And we see in this passage it doing that. We see it doing that by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming Christ, so God the Spirit, God the Son, proclaiming Christ, and then praying to and relying on the Father, God the Father. We see the church flourishing as it does this in Acts chapters 3 and 4. So first, the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, the scene, uh, if you can imagine, I think we have some pictures to show, if that's working, Brendan, of the temple grounds. The scene is the temple. Here's a, a model of what the temple probably looked like at the time. And, and when they speak of the temple, they don't just mean that central building in the middle, which is the, the holy place and the holy of holies. They mean the whole complex. So it was a very large complex. Uh, I don't know the dimensions, but it's, you know, hundreds of yards. It's very large. 
It's that whole complex. So you have an open air, you have the, the temple building itself in the center, a place for sacrifices, for prayer, and then this large open area where they would gather, and then those colonnades along the edges. That was also a place that they would typically gather. That was called Solomon's Colonnade. This was set up in a high place in Jerusalem, uh, and so they would go up to the temple. And I, I think the next page is a picture. There were stairs you would ascend to go into the temple. So the scene here is they're going into the temple, and there's this man who they, perhaps John and Peter knew him, had seen him before. Uh, there's a, probably a lot of people going in and out of the temple area, but he, he was there. He would beg every day at the, at the gate called Beautiful. Now that gate was inside. It was a gate that led into the, the inner grounds, from the outer grounds to the inner grounds. And this man, who had been there for years and years, uh, would beg for alms because in those days, if you were handicapped, you didn't have a lot of options. and You would rely on the generosity of God's people. So it was a common thing for people who were handicapped and needy to, to beg for alms around the temple. And this man had, had done that. And Peter and John are coming in and, and, and they are experiencing the kingdom of God like they've never experienced it. God has poured out His Spirit. He's working He's working in the church, and, and there's just all sorts of stuff going on there. They're, they're seeing God just bring people to Him, changing their lives. Miracles are happening. Their worlds are turned upside down. There's thousands of Jews who have come to know Christ as the Messiah. And so they're walking through Peter and John, experiencing all this, these things, and then they meet this man coming up the temple steps. Can you, can you imagine what it was like. I, I, we don't know the details. Uh, they're, they're coming up the steps and then this man uh, is looking at them and asking them for alms. He wants to get a donation from them. I, I don't know how it happened, but I kind of picture Peter and John at that point, kind of the man asked for a donation and then they, they my guess is they're, they're saying, Lord, what are you doing right now? What's going on? This guy just asked us for something. They've learned perhaps to expect the spirits to lead and guide and empower them. They've been doing these miracles that they've experienced, it looks like, from what Luke is saying. So, Lord, what are you doing? I just picture them glancing. Maybe Peter glances at John. John glances at Peter and they give the nod. Yep, I think God wants to do what you're thinking. Yep, yep same thing. And so they tell the man, look at us. And he fixes his attention. And Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I, what I do, I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This man was born handicapped. This wasn't someone that just uh, injured himself like I did this week. I actually cut my leg with a chainsaw. Uh, and I'm doing very well, so not, not to worry. But this man had, and that was, that was well, thank God God protected me. Uh, but this man was born with handicap. He was born this way. They knew, they knew the man. He was always there. And yet he, Peter uh, grabs his hand and lifts him up, and his legs are strengthened, and he walks. Now, as I was reading this, I realized, you know what? This guy never walked before. He was born that way. So, there, I mean, there's all sorts of miracles going on because... We have to learn to walk. I mean, this guy, his legs are strengthened. He's able to walk. He knows how to walk. Not only does he know how to walk, but what does he do? He goes in the temple with them, and he's walking and leaping. He's jumping around, and he's trying out his new legs. He's having a great time because he's been healed powerfully in the name of Jesus. He's leaping, and he's praising God, and he's making a scene. 
and the crowd, the crowd is attracted to this. This guy's making a scene. They're, they're in that uh, colonnade area, and he's, he's with Peter and John, and he's praising God. And people, it says that they ran to see what was going on. They ran. Can you imagine? This is a man you've known. He's been crippled his whole life. He's, he's been there at the, the beautiful gate probably much of the time. And now he's walking and leaping and praising God. And the crowd runs. It's a fantastic miracle. It's actually interesting. Luke includes this miracle, I think, for a number of reasons. If you look at the life of Jesus, early on in his ministry, there was another man that was crippled and could not move. He was lowered through a roof. And Jesus healed the man. The man picked up his mat and walked. I think Luke is, is doing something here. He's saying, guys, just because Jesus has ascended and is not here physically doesn't mean that his ministry doesn't continue. His ministry continues just as he started out in his early ministry healing someone who was crippled in that dramatic way. Now we have the church through the apostles doing the same thing. So this is to illustrate the continued work. And matter of fact, later on when we get to Paul, we'll see the same thing recorded for Paul. That Paul in Lystra, in the early part of his ministry, is used to heal a man similarly crippled. So these parallels, Luke is making statements that this is the continued work of God in his church. So this miracle is here to, to point to that and to, to point to the wonder of, the, of God working through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that here in this healing. In the, in the section, we see other aspects of how they ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the healing itself. Being empowered to do that is through the Spirit. But, but later on we see, we see Peter in verse 8 of chapter 4. He is before the council. Now this is the same council, probably mostly the same people who had condemned Christ to death. The same council that when Peter was, in, was near there, in the, its proximity, he denied the Lord. Right? Do you remember in the story? He denies the Lord. Uh, this is the same, these are the same guys. But this time, Peter is there with John before the council, and they, they, they ask him, you know, in whose name have you done this? What's going on? And, and it says in verse 8, in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he boldly proclaims that. Now that, that stuff, he said, he can get killed for. Matter of fact, about three, three times in that, he's saying things that were the, the same sort of thing that got Jesus killed, could get him killed. He, this is a different Peter. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He boldly proclaims Christ, doesn't he? I mean, it, it's, it's marked how... How bold and how clear that is. It says he was filled with the Spirit. Later on in the story, we see the power of the Spirit as well. When the church comes together, after they're released, the church comes together and the church prays and seeks the Father. And I'm going to talk about that shortly. 
But it says, as they pray, in answer to their prayer, the place where they were praying together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Throughout this story, we see the power of the Holy Spirit in dramatic ways. And it's so important for us to recognize that, that this is a picture of, of the church. That the church now in the 21st century here in Haverhill is to be a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we need the book of Acts because the book of Acts is just like we talked about last week. It's such a great picture of the church. And yes, it's unique. Uh, the, the twelve apostles are not around anymore. And, and it was certainly dramatic as these things were initiated. Yes, and as the gospel went forth, there's uniqueness there. But there's so much that's in common with the church now. So this book is to be for us a, a template of sorts with the proper qualifiers, a template of a healthy church and a healthy Christian life. We see these, the power of the Spirit resulting in miracles and bold proclamation. Do you think God wants us to rely on the power of the Spirit in the same way? These things are for us today as well. Now, I might never, probably will never, operate anything like Peter or Paul or what we see in the, in the book of Acts. But, but, but that qualifier should not be taken the other way, right? And saying, well, since I can't do you know, resurrections every day and, and all these other things, then, then I really can't do anything. And to swing the other side and say, well, you know, I guess that, that's just not for today. That's not the case. The, the church is to walk in these things. And, and I, could illustrate, I could illustrate from current history, reliable sources, many, many ways that the church walks in similar power. Healings. We have people in our midst who have been healed. One in particular, uh, one of our brothers, healed of a terminal sickness. Throughout the world, healings happening. Throughout the world, God giving power to His people to boldly and effectively proclaim Christ. Any ability ultimately for me to preach and proclaim Christ in a fruitful way comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to be active in our reliance and our pursuit of the power of the Spirit. Reading Acts 3 and 4 and saying, Lord, I want some of this. I want all of this. All of that You have for us. We want to be a people who rely on the Holy Spirit. One illustration to share. Uh, some years ago, uh, we were in Alpha. The Alpha program, it's a, a, a laid-back, very uh, effective program, 10 weeks, 10 sessions, where you, you hear about Christ. And uh, it's been very fruitful, thank God. And, and we were in the Alpha program, and a friend of mine, I'll call her Stacy, she had been in the group, attending this group, uh, and we were three-quarters of the way, and we went on the Alpha retreats. And the highlight of the Alpha course is the retreat. And Stacy had grown up uh, around the church. I don't know all of her background. She had, she had learned about Christ in some way and had wandered. She had wandered in high school and in college, uh, had really wandered from the Lord and wandered into sin and, and, and got into all different types of trouble. I don't know the whole story. And she came to Alpha for some reason. I think she saw something in Alpha, in the people, she saw something to, to get her hopes up. And as she went through the Alpha course, uh, she was a full participant, asking questions, learning. And she went on the retreat, and, and 
And we had talked about the truth of Christ and the call to respond, but she hadn't yet responded. She hadn't yet received that Christ had died for her sin, wanted her to receive forgiveness and live under His kingship, under His lordship and rule, His benevolent and good rule. She had not responded yet to that. And we were on the retreat, and there was a time of prayer. And, and there was another friend of mine, uh, and she's a very gifted woman who who's, has cultivated her gifts uh, over time, sought to grow in her gifts, and she, she at times, God will speak to her about different things. And she's godly, she's wise, she holds to the Scriptures, so no, no worries there if you're thinking, okay, cuckoo, no, not at all. Very solid woman. Uh, and we're praying for her, for, for our friend Stacy. And our other friend comes up, and she has a strong impression that Stacy was not receiving the forgiveness of God. She was not receiving the forgiveness of God because of guilt, serious guilt in her life. And she asked very gently and very much in private, but she had this impression that Stacy had had an abortion. And that the guilt of that, the guilt of having the abortion, aborting her child, uh, in her mind was so great that she couldn't come to Jesus. She couldn't come and receive forgiveness. And so this friend just asked that question very gently, shared it, and in fact it was true. And Stacy knew from that, from our friend sharing it, that, you know what, God knows what I went through. And, our, and if I remember right, our friend shared with Stacy that God wants you to come to him and receive the forgiveness he purchased for you. And Stacy did. So that, that word for Stacy was was something the Spirit of God did. And Stacy came to Christ uh, that weekend, I believe, and, and, uh, and ended up getting married to her living boyfriend and is in the church, flourishing and strong. Just one little example of the power of the Spirit. Now, there are many ways the Spirit works. The Spirit works in proclamation. The Spirit works in great big miracles. The Spirit works in little miracles. There's all sorts of things that He would want to do as we are sensitive to Him. How about you? Is it your heart to walk in the power of the Spirit, to rely on Him, to use you, to be sensitive, to say, God, what what do you want to do? When you're going up the temple steps sort of situation and something's happening, is there, Lord, okay, what's going on here? The guy just asked me for something. What should I do here? God, use me. Is there the, the willingness to step out and try something? Now, unless you've got some experience and significant power, I don't suggest grabbing a handicapped person by the hand and lifting them up right away. Uh, but there are lots of other things to do. Sometimes it's just saying, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Should I respond to him? Just ask if I can help, whatever. This, God's going to lead you. The Spirit of God's going to be faithful. We are to be a Spirit-empowered people walking throughout life with active dependence active expectation of the Spirit's power in and through us. That's what Acts teaches us. It teaches us this healthy Trinitarian worship, this healthy Trinitarian reliance for His people. And it's this sort of thing in Acts that leads to a healthy church even amidst the persecution that they are beginning to experience. More of the story. It's interesting in the story, as this man is healed... He's walking, he's leaping, he's, he's praising God. It's just fantastic. People are running, running to where he is, and they're wanting to know what's going on. And, and, and Peter, at that point, 
says to them, well, guys, I, I've got this miracle ministry, uh, and I'd like you to participate in the miracle ministry for a small offering. You can have some of these handkerchiefs, and you yourself can experience what this man has done through Peter's miracle ministry. Does he do that? No. What does he do in the story? Very, very quickly, right away, he turns the attention where? Jesus. Not to the man, not to himself. He turns attention to Jesus right away. I think that's a sign of a healthy, godly leader. That when God does things through that leader, that leader turns the attention to Jesus. Does not say, look at me and my gifts, my personality. Doesn't say, look at my ministry. Doesn't say, look at this person who's healed. As, as good as that is to rejoice in that healing... He says, look at Jesus who does such things. So in, in the story, he quickly, very quickly turns and says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us? <laughs> Can you see him do this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And so he, he's pointing to Christ and he's, he's pressing them. He says, to this we are witnesses. And by his name, this, the name of Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. He directs the attention to Jesus. Guys, what are you staring at us for? There's nothing here. Stop looking. Look here at Jesus. He is the one who's done this miracles. And he, he's, in, in speaking to the Jews, He's the one that you've rejected as they were in a special situation. But He is the one who has done this healing. He is the one who brings the truth. He is the one who is for you. So He starts to call them to response. He, he, he lays out who Jesus is and, and the blessing of that and calls them to respond. He turns the attention on Christ. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. He calls them to respond to Jesus. He proclaims Jesus and calls them to respond to Him. Jesus is the center of the attention in this message. And we know the wonderful story of the Gospel. The wonderful story of Christ, that Christ has come He's Savior and Lord. He rescues us. He's come to rescue us. He died on that cross to pay for our sins. He died on that cross to pay for Stacy's sins. And if you are Stacy or anyone who has sin, He has died that your sins might be forgiven. You don't have to live in guilt. Believer or yet to be a believer. He has died so that you might know forgiveness for all your sins. His blood was fully effective to pay 
for sins. And the invitation Peter gave, the invitation that holds today, the invitation that's just as real here in this room on this 4th of July as it was in this story, is for you to come and receive that forgiveness. To put your faith, not in yourself, not in others, but in Jesus, who died for your sin and rose again victorious over sin and death. When you put your faith in Him, your sins are atoned for, you are cleansed from your sin, you are forgiven, you are received. And the promise of everlasting life is your sure promise. So it only gets better. Yeah, there might be hard things in life, but it only gets better because the future is secure. Christ rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. That victory is your victory when you place your faith in Him. So that invitation stands today just like it did then. And and God willing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're hearing God speak to you. Don't refuse Him. He loves you, wants you to know Christ, wants you to be forgiven. He comes to rescue us, to ransom us, to, to deal with the problem of our sin. It's penalty, which is death and separation from God. It's power, which which imprisons us and ruins our lives. It's presence which afflicts us. All these He's come to deal with through His death and resurrection. He comes to redeem us. He is the One. Peter points to Jesus. He wants them to know Jesus. He doesn't want them to look at Him. He doesn't want them to even look at the healing. The purpose of the healing is as a sign to point to Christ. Healings are always ultimately to serve that way. And then he says, says to them, he preaches to them, and then later preaching to the council, there is, no, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We put the focus on Jesus because He alone is salvation. He alone is God the Son. He alone is able to rescue us. There's no other name under heaven. There's no other name under heaven. According to Scripture, according to the truth, no other name. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one else who can save you from your sin and your separation from God. No other name. Not Sigmund Freud, not Bill Gates, not George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, not Glenn Beck, not Al Franken, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Gandhi, not Confucius, not the Dalai Lama, not Lao Xi, or Michael Beckwith, any of these. Jesus Christ alone saves us from our sin for Him. Peter proclaims Christ and wants us to know that. He wants the people hearing to know. He wants the church to focus. God wants the church to focus on Christ. The church thrives amidst adversity as it ministers in the power of the Spirit, as it proclaims Christ. And finally, as it prays to and relies on the Father. So they have this amazing miracle, and then they have this wonderful, bold, clear proclamation of Christ. And then what happens is, they're in the temple grounds, the Sadducees, the, pretty much all the priests were Sadducees. And a Sadducee, uh, I don't know the origin, I don't remember the origin of the word, but basically it was the party of the priests, and they didn't believe in any resurrection. They believed you die, you die, that's the end. And they hear someone preaching about the resurrection of Christ, 
And it says they're very annoyed. They're very annoyed. They're very put off. And they send the guards. The guards go and they arrest Peter and John. And they have to stand before the council. And what do they do? What do Peter and John do in the power of the Spirit? Do they, uh, do they freak out? Does Peter kind of like freak out and do the same, deny Christ again? I mean, this is more pressure than he faced before. Does he tone it down? Oh, okay, guys, okay, we got you. We got to tone it down. Sorry, a little too bold there, a little too clear. I mean, uh, you know, that thing about, you know, you crucified him. He's the, he's, he's the, sorry, you know, we'll tone it down. You know, were they more politically correct? You know, you kind of, you know, let's, all, let's all get along. Let's kind of tone the Jesus thing down. Did they kind of enter into negotiations? Let's work out a compromise some way. No. Now, they, I, you know, they weren't rude or obnoxious or any of those things. But they boldly proclaim to the council. For we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. They are amazingly bold. And then when they're released, they go back to the church. And what do they do? Yeah. They go back, they pray. They pray. And how do they start that prayer? How do they start? Do they, do they pray by saying, oh God, this is really bad. You know, we're getting persecuted here. Like, you know, we didn't expect it this early on. This is tough. No, they don't start with that. They don't even mention the persecution at all. They don't, they don't mention at first what they want to see happen. They don't say, well, God, you know, we need your help here. We, we, I mean, the, the, we've got this witness thing that you called us to, and now these guys are persecuting us. Let's help us. With, they, don't, they don't go after that. Now, they do later on talk about what they want, and they talk about their persecution. How do they start? They start by remembering their sovereign Lord. They remember the sovereign Lord. The very first words, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. That is very profound. They've just been threatened. Probably threatened with death. They've just, the persecution has begun. They've, the, they were... They, they stood before the council and their first words are, Sovereign Lord, the God who rules all things. God who is in control of all things. The God who reigns over all things. And then they talk specifically how He is the Sovereign Lord. He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them and spoke through the mouth of our father David these words. And, and they list the, the words and then they say, for truly in the city they were gathered together so this, uh, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So they say, Lord, you are the sovereign Lord. You've made all things and you spoke about what's happening right here. What we just went through, what we've been going through, you already spoke about. You are sovereign. And listen... Listen to what it says in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They go to God's sovereignty. God, You are over all. You made all things. You planned what happened today. Now there's mystery in that that we'll never fully uncover. It does not in any way impugn God's character to allow evil and to use evil. That's another message. I'd love to answer questions on that however I can. But, but they have no problem there. What went on that day was a bad thing. They're being persecuted. That shouldn't have happened. And they don't, they don't go somewhere else. They go to the Sovereign Lord. 
They start out their prayer, Sovereign Lord. Folks, this is how we need to pray. When things are hard, when we face adversity, not, Lord, this is hard. Now, God wants to hear that. That that sort of thing's in here. That's in the Psalms. But not, oh, this is terrible. Or, oh, can you at least do it this way? But, Sovereign Lord, God who's over all, who's good, who is in control, who's in complete Authority, this is the medicine for our souls. This is what we need more than anything when we pray. Sovereign Lord, that is their comfort. That is their wisdom. That is their ultimate answer. So they start out, Sovereign Lord. They, they ground themselves on the sovereignty of the Father. A healthy church, a healthy Christian, grounds him or herself on the Father, on the Sovereign Lord who rules and reigns over all, who is good and can only be good. The power of the Spirit, the proclamation of Christ, praying to and relying on the Father. They ground themselves there. But they don't just stop there either, do they? They don't just say, well, you know, you're sovereign, you're the sovereign over everything, you predestine all things that happen, and we don't know how to figure out how it, how it all works, but you do, and so, you know, I guess we just don't, shouldn't do anything, you know? Let's, that's the end of our prayer. Boop! You're sovereign? Okay, we're just going to go on our way. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll just kind of wait and see what happens, you know? The sovereign Lord has something to happen next. Do they do that? No. They, no, they don't misunderstand sovereignty as, as we often do. Sovereignty in Scripture is never to, uh, to be an excuse for disobedience or inactivity. Sovereignty in Scripture is actually supposed to function differently. It's to be for our comfort as believers to know as bad as it may be, there is a God who's over it all, working through it and bigger than it, and I can rely on Him. It's to be our comfort. And it's to be our motivation. Because if He's sovereign and He's got plans, guess what? The plans are going to happen, aren't they? So it should motivate us to say, you know what? You're sovereign and you're the one who said it. You said, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we can have confidence to pray. If God's not sovereign, don't, don't waste your time praying. He's sovereign so we can pray. We can be motivated to look forward to, to what He's going to do. So that's what they do. They, they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak Your Word with all boldness while You stretch out Your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of Your Holy Servant, Jesus. What a wonderful prayer. God, You're sovereign. You're the Lord. We look to You. We ground ourselves in You. You have a plan. Now, Lord, consider their threats and grant us in the light of these threats to speak with boldness. God, we want to see Your plan advance. So consider what's going on. Give us power. We're weak. Peter probably, probably knows so poignantly that truth. He probably knows in and of myself, if it's up to me, I'm going to turn tail and run. I'm going to deny, deny Christ again and run away. Give us power. Give us power to be bold. That's a prayer we should ask too, isn't it? Give us power to be bold. Why don't we speak more of Christ? Because our boldness, at, at times it's lack of boldness. And, and think, we, we don't have anybody saying they're going to kill us. 
they might just make fun of us or they might not, you know, they might make a joke about us or not think as highly of us. It's, it's really minor, very minor, thank God. But let's pray for boldness. God, give me boldness to proclaim Christ. And there's all sorts of ways to proclaim Christ. You don't have to go up to, to your neighbor and, you know, repeat Peter's sermon today. You can just go up to your neighbor and say, how are you doing? How's life? Let me tell you about how much Christ has helped me. Or you know, looking for doors. There's lots of ways to do it. But let's pray for boldness. They pray for boldness. They rely on the Father. They ask for boldness. And then they say, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They ask God to confirm the message with power, with signs and wonders. Let us ask God to do that. Let's ask God to pour out His Spirit. We, we had a chance um, some years ago with one of our neighbors, and, and we were sharing Christ and getting to know this neighbor, and, and their son had a serious heart ailment. And, I mean, it's kind of, those situations, it's like pretty obvious what to do, right? I mean, you're relating to them, you're getting to know them, and you know that God heals. It doesn't say He always heals in every way, right? Ultimately, the healing is in Christ and in our resurrection, full healness, but he, healing. But He does heal. So you're relating to somebody, you're loving them, you're proclaiming Christ, and then they say, my, my son has a serious heart ailment. What do you do? You pray. And so we prayed for him. And, 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 and apparently, from what I can tell, uh, immediately after that, uh, he went to see the doctor, and he still had the heart thing physically, but all the symptoms were gone. He was blue and things like that. All that disappeared. And that obviously made an impact with our friend. God wants to use us like that. That's... Acts 3 and 4 are there for us. So we would say, Lord, do this. We should pray this way. Oh God, grant us boldness. Grant us boldness to proclaim Christ to one another, to our neighbors, our relatives, to grant us power to be effective. Stretch out your hand, oh God, and move in power to confirm your word. Lord, through signs and wonders, through the ability to love the unlovely, Give us power, Lord. Grant power to overcome sin. Grant Your power to show the world that You are God and that Christ is Lord and Savior. May we pray like that. The bank could come up as we finish. When they prayed like that, the place they were praying was shaken and they were all freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. And they proclaimed the Word of God boldly. What a wonderful picture. And this is something we are to ask the Lord for as well. We're to learn from this, that the church prospers, it flourishes even amidst adversity as it relies on God, the triune God, as it relies on the power of the Holy Spirit, as it proclaims Christ, as it prays to and relies on the Father. There is health, there is life. Let me pray, and we'll just take a minute to consider how to respond to God's Word. If you have notes, down at the bottom of your notes is a little section, my application from God's Word today is, and you can fill that in. If you still have your green card, take a minute right now just to fill that out. You can leave that with Tom or Sandy at the back. Let's just uh, take a minute, uh, just quietly pray and ask the Lord 
what He would have us do. Let me pray. Lord, we thank You for Acts 3 and 4. We thank You for this glorious picture that's here. This picture for us, for King of Grace as well, of what it looks like for a church to flourish. And we ask You, Lord, would You lead us in relying on the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you lead us in proclaiming Christ, turning the attention to Christ? Would you lead us in relying on you, our sovereign Lord, our Father? Would you grant us health and life? Glorify your name through us, we pray.